I know this is an old cliche, but it's ever true. The ball game is never over until the final out. Especially an all-star game, and how well I remember this one. Detroit, Brink Stadium, 1941. And the 55,000 fans were ready for a show. Little realizing that a year from that date, many of the men on the field will be wearing another kind of uniform. This day, they came to see DiMaggio, Greenberg, and someone named Bob Feller. And a new sports sensation, just a kid named Ted Williams. Ted Williams had joined the American League in Boston two years before, and he had pitchers still trying to find a formula for getting him out. Because as this all-star game approached, he was holding a fabulous 405 batting mark. Now naturally, this didn't make the National League starter feel too secure. I opened the pitching for the American League, successfully cutting him down by pitching to nine men in the first three innings. The National League took care of us in a similar fashion. Cincinnati's Paul Derringer gave up a run in the fourth, and Ted Williams had another American League tally across with a double in the sixth. Meanwhile, Archie Vaughn of the Pittsburgh Pirates held the hottest National League bat and slammed a pair of home runs. So the American League came to bat in the bottom of the eighth. They were trailing in the All-Star game by a score of five to two. Edgar Smith held the National League scoreless in the top of the ninth. Paso retired to first American leaguer in the bottom of the ninth. But Cleveland's Ken Keltner in a pinch hit roll singled off shortstop Eddie Miller's glove. Cecil Travis of Washington was next and he walked, sending Keltner to second and bringing up DiMaggio to the plate. By now the fans were starting for the exits. While at the same time, almost in mass, they were yelling for Joe to hit a home run. Instead, he sent a grass cutter at Miller, which had double play written all over it. Miller scooped the ball up, fired to second to force Travis. DiMaggio, however, was safe at first. There were two out. Two runners on base. The score, National League 5, American League 4. Next batter up, Ted Williams. Ted went through his little ritual, which has now become so familiar. His left foot scuffed a little dirt. Then he bounced on the balls of both feet. He squeezed his bat as he waited for the first pitch from Paso. Foul, strike one. Two more pitches were wide, and Ted wanted no part of them. Paso fired again, and this time Ted swung. As recounted by Hall of Famer Bob Feller, the summer of 1941 proved to be one of the greatest seasons in baseball history. Ted Williams hit 401 for the Boston Red Sox, the last man ever to do so, while Joe DiMaggio hit in 56 consecutive games and won the AL MVP for the New York Yankees. The Yankees met the surprising Brooklyn Dodgers in the World Series. The Dodgers drew the most fans in baseball that year, but lost to the Yankees in five games. Two months and one day after the last World Series game. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii by air, President Roosevelt has just announced. The attack also was made on all naval and military activities on the principal island of Oahu.
I'm a fool to want you. Both players and citizens alike joined the war effort. The Dodgers drew 1.2 million fans in 1941. They still led the league, but drew only 661,000 in 1943. Many stars lost three seasons to World War II. A few would never return. Almost 420,000 Americans died during the war. When the war finally ended, jubilation turned to atomic fears. I don't know what this means, or even if it has meaning, but I can't resist mention of the fact that this much can be revealed concerning the appearance of tonight's atom bomb. It will be decorated with a photograph, a sizable likeness, of a young lady named Rita Hayward. Not long ago, I watched quite another sort of young lady paint her lips with something called over-the-counter the atom lipstick. The case of the cosmetic being fashioned according to the popular conceptions of the original war engine. I'm sure you won't need to be told that Miss Hayworth is not one to use such a thing or to hold it as anything less than a very hideous conceit. Her face is not on the atom bomb then by her own choosing, but by election of the flyers who will drop the bomb and who are clearly the business according to their taste. As regards selection, I find their taste beyond reproach, but the bomb dropping itself better be worthy of the accompanying photograph. Is this, Faustus claimed of Helen of Troy, the face that launched a thousand ships and burnt the topless tower of civilian? Well, I want a better toast, a better boast for Rebecca. I want my daughter to be able to tell her daughter that grandmother's picture was on the last atom bomb ever to explode. Now my time's brought up. About time for me to say goodbye to you. With one more word about this OPA business, if I have a second. You can send a wire, if you will, or a special delivery letter to your congressman or... President Truman upholding his courageous stand, demanding immediate enactment of effective price control legislation. If you do, you'll be saving that dollar and making it worth something. Now my time is up. Thanks for listening. Please let me come to call again the same time. Next week, same station. Until then, I will be in yours. This is the American Broadcasting Company. Meanwhile in Brooklyn... The Dodgers drew 1.7 million fans in 1946 and again led the National League in attendance. It set the stage for the most important moment in baseball history. <laughs>